Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. You are listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction Blog Talk Radio Show, founded to increase the national awareness of black women in the construction industry. NABWIC is the charge and takes the charge for black women to advocate for further opportunities to its members. Our mission as a core foundation is to strengthen the building blocks of new educational, entrepreneurial, professional, and social network connections. The vision of NABWIC is to build long-lasting strategic partnerships with first-rate organizations and individuals that will provide groundbreaking and innovative solutions for black women in construction and their respective communities. We invite you to call or text or email family, business associates, or friends and tell them that we are on the air right now. Or they can join us on the Internet by logging in to www.blogtalkradio.com slash N-A-B-W-I-C or by phone at 714-459-3918 and press 1 to join our conversation with questions or comments. Good morning. This is Ursula Odom, and I am your host for NABWIC Talks, and I'm also the CEO of Sula2, and we make old, new, and everything we do in that we will capture, preserve, and present legacy information in any form possible, and that's what we do here on this show. We present to you the legendary stories of average and ordinary to extraordinary people, as they relate to NABWIC and their NABWIC experiences as well. This is a, a show that is for the benefit of NABWIC members and our listening audience. If you're a NABWIC member, this show can be about you next week. Okay, the guest that I have this morning, oh my goodness, the story that she will be sharing with us is just absolutely incredible. Um, she is Mayor Monique Owens, and she's also a comedian and an entrepreneur and a politician. Now, put all of that together, and what do you have? A dynamic person. She has always been a social justice trailblazer, serving her community in no, is no stranger to her, serving as a police officer for the Wayne County Sheriff's Department for over 10 years made her more aware of the challenges we face as a community and how our society is affected by our environment, economic status, race, and education. Her love for seeing other people excel and be successful led her to her role, led to her role as a professional comedian, bringing people together with social issues and awareness through laughter allowed her to travel the world and reach others. In 2014, she auditioned for Showtime at the Apollo and won. In 2015, she started her own talent agency called Naturally Funny Talent Agency LLC to provide comedy entertainment and also guide new comedians on what to expect in the business of entertainment. On November 5, 2019, she was elected the first African American mayor of East Point, Michigan, and in 2017, she made history as the first African American councilwoman in East Point, Michigan. 
making history twice in only two years, breaking the glass ceiling to help bridge the gap on so many levels. She wanted more for our youth because she understands that no matter where you come from doesn't determine where you're going. She started a 4-H program in East Point, which is which she was a part of as a child to teach the youth about critical thinking, self-worth, and giving back to the community. She has partnered up with a with local business owners to provide community events that cater to not only our residents but surrounding areas as well. Welcome Mayor Owens. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for that introduction. I'm pleased to be on You're your show. Welcome. And we're so excited. Obviously, I'm too excited. I need to stop and let you talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're we're truly excited to have you tell your story this morning. So let's just do that. Give me the background. We heard the bio, but tell tell us the story in your own words. How did you get to be where you are today? Well, God is the reason I'm here to today and um he just invested in me more than I invested in myself because God sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves and so do other people. So God and you know give me the confidence to see what he has for me and providing those people that sees the same thing to help me get to where I need to be. So I believe that um it's you know, people who help me to get to where I am today that you know, even as a kid, I remember my teacher, uh, I was in fifth grade, and I believe I was in the spelling bee. And, um, you know, every time you spell a word, you go to the next level. And so I beat everybody in fifth grade, then I had to go against sixth grader. Beat everybody in sixth grade all the way up to high school. So you got this fifth grade wow. kid going against, you know, a high schooler. And so, of course... I misspelled one of the words, and I didn't end up winning. And so I felt really bad about that, you know, because I felt like I should have got something. You know, I'm in fifth grade. This person in high school, of course, they have a better chance on spelling a word than me, you know. So I remember going to going back to school the very next day, and uh, everybody said, yeah, you did good, Monique, you know. And so my teacher uh, said, Everybody was going to lunch, and my teacher held me back. And she said, uh, I want to talk to you. And um, I said, yes, ma'am. You know, I went to a private school. It was always yes, ma'am. So she said, yeah, um, you did really good last night. I said, I know. Thank you. Um, I did my best. She said, you know you won. I'm thinking, like, what are you talking about? No, I didn't. You know, she's like, no, you won. And she said, and from here on out, I want you to know you're a winner. And I know you're going to have big things going on in your life when you get older. You're a winner, Monique. And, you know, she saw that in me. And it's funny because when I won for my uh, mayor, I won council in 2017, she texted me and said, I told you. And then when I won mayor, she heard about it and said, I told you. You know, so (laughs) people like that, that. 
reminds you of who you are because they saw it along. And so, you know, I just thank God, again, thanking God for allowing people to come into my life and seeing things in me and pushing me to go into, you know, and go into what God has for you. You know, sometimes you, you stumble and you don't have the people that you think should be pushing you. And it's usually strangers. So, so you know, as a child, you know, I had those days when I had people that I didn't know tell me, you got something in you and you're going to be somebody. And it was always those strangers that helped me to be where I am today. So I thank God for those people. And, you know, I'm a firm believer the words that you say to a child, and your story is evidence too, are so important because we live by those words. I know when my grandmother um, used to say to me, you're a blessed child. At the time, I had no idea what that really meant. Um, I have come to define it over the years. But I I was able to um, motivate myself when I was down because grandmother said I was a blessed child, so this too shall pass. And I would reward myself when no one else would because grandmother said I was a a blessed child, so I deserve whatever this is that I got. You know, um, and it helps when there are good times and bad times, and it's all because of what you are a blessed child. Four words (laughs) my grandmother said to me. So I get it. I understand it. Now, tell us about being a a police officer. Um, Actually, there's a, a couple of things that I'd like to ask you along those lines. Your job, as it was, purely the job. And then now the political environment in which we look at that job. And how do you feel about both of those things? Well, the policing, you, it's politics in anything you do, you know, and at the church, at the, whatever job or whatever you do, it's going to be something uh, dealing with politics and, you know, groups and things like that. But when I was a Wayne County Sheriff, I like working there. I like being able to see the talk to people from all different walks of life, it taught me how to be humble and be less judgmental because it doesn't take long to go to jail. It doesn't take much to go to jail, you know. And so you have to be humble and not be judgmental and why people do what they do because you have probably been there, I've probably been there, and God just held us back or we did something different or God just covered us differently. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, having that experience working in the jail and then leaving, I knew that I had more for me than just sitting around and seeing people, you know, uh, do crimes and hear their side stories or hear why they're in there, you know, and I want to do more for people before they got to that level. How can I reach the community? How can I, you know, help someone see more in themselves before they get to this level, you know, because I've seen a lot of youth go to go to jail. I've seen a lot of um, mothers, you know, young young black men. Most of the time when you work in a, in a predominantly uh, African-American area or maybe Caucasian, whatever you see, you deal with most of that group. And so most of the group I dealt with was African-American. And it was very depressing going to work and seeing uh, African-American males behind bars and, 
and things of that nature. And I'm saying we're missing something here, you know, and how can I get their attention? And um, leaving the sheriff's department and going into politics taught me about a lot about law, policy, and how to have a voice. And I think a lot of people in the African-American community, we don't understand our voices, our power. And I saw a lot from working in the sheriff's department how we began to, that used to be the norm, just having the law tell us what to do and not being part of the law-making system. And I thought, I think at times we get comfortable with that, you know, because in the past the laws were put towards us to be good. You be good, and, you know, you follow the laws. But behind, you know, the people making the laws, the lawmakers, nobody looked like us. So we were just the people obeying the laws. So when I saw that in the criminal justice system of, you know, us obeying the laws, and when you don't, you go to jail, and when you do, you might still go to jail. So, you know, stepping outside of that realm, I said, we have a voice. We can. We are powerful. We need people behind the scenes at the table to make sure that we are represented, and I don't think we were represented enough, and that is why you see a lot of us go to jail or get tickets for things that other groups don't get tickets for and things like that because nobody is representing us. And so going into the political world, I saw a lot of that, and I want to be at the table. I want us to be represented by somebody that looked like us, and I want to move forward in doing that. And so I had to learn a lot on my own in order to do that because I didn't grow up around politicians or mayors or council or senators and things like that. Absolutely not. I don't know any. I never talked about it growing up as a kid. Never even talked about voting as a kid. So a lot of things that I do now surprises a lot of people that grew up with me. It surprises me, the level guys put me, put me in. Because if you don't know nobody that's doing it, you've never been around it, it's like how did you how did you get to where you're at when you had no knowledge, no experience, nobody around you is doing it, no mentorship. And so how did you get there? And so that's when I said God allowed me to show me where I needed to be to show a group of people that they have power and they have a voice. Now, how you use that voice is the next thing is you have to believe that you have power first. And when mm-hmm. we, if you don't know what you have, you don't use it. That's you know, that's with anything. And so, true. It's, in this last election, I depended upon my my win with the African American vote because it is researched and it has been shown, in in many times that Caucasians vote the most in local elections. And so the numbers are there, the proof is there, and so we know since I knew the numbers of how many people are on vote that might be less likely African American, I knew I need the African American vote to boost that number up. So mm-hmm. you say, how do you get them to come out on local elections? They never do that, Monique. I mean, I mean, what are you going to do? They don't come out. You're going to base your whole election on a group of people that has been shown that don't go out and vote. Are you kidding me? And so it was something I had to show them. You know, it was it took a lot of work and dedication to show people that you have the power to elect me. You know that, right? So those are the conversations that I had with people when I went to their doors 
when I seen them at the supermarket campaigning and letting them know, can you vote for Monique Owens? You have the power. You know, sometimes the conversation got to change in letting people know they have strength and power. You have the power to elect mm-hmm. you as your next mayor. The only way I'm going to get in is because of you. Not me, because of you. And so when you let people know that they have power, that, you know, we need each other, the conversation is different. And so that was because my whole, um, you know, my whole voice and my whole, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, as I was going along in my campaign was my motto was together moving forward. And when I said that is I can't do it alone. We need to do this and go forward. Forget the past of what they said about us. Forget the past of what they what they think about us. Let's move forward and let's change some things together. And I believe in this election, we've shown that, you know, and um, just showing people that they have power, that they have a voice, that voting does matter, was shown all in this election. And also, the power of God was the most important thing I believe people saw. Because I know when I was running, people were like, you're trying to run an East one? Then never let a black person be mayor. And it's something how you believe in God and you think things are impossible. What type of God you serving? <laughs> so I didn't understand those those things, you know, because... You're telling me that a person who can raise the dead can't help me win in a 5.5 square mile city? That's the same, that's the same <laughs> guy we were talking about, right? So, you know, when you come up with those conversations with people, first of all, you got to know the power of God. Once you know the power of God, then you know that that same power is within you. But if you don't know your power, you don't really. it's kind of hard to get people to see who they are because everybody else can see who you are. And if you don't, now right. me, I don't like being around people who don't see who they are. It doesn't benefit me. <laughs> now, other groups, it benefits them because if you don't see your power, they continue to win. That's how. Right, because they can they can use not your voting. gift for their benefit or go around you and are you not being able to, to vote and get the people you, you know should be in there. Um, yeah. I do have a question for you. Um, there is, um, well, what do you think about ranked choice voting, and should it be possible a possible platform to to be used in in other states? And what is it? Explain what ranked choice voting is. Well, ranked choice voting was implemented in East Point to help African Americans and to have a chance. People in general, minorities, to have a chance to get in office in the city of East Point. It's a it's a a long actually a history of East Point and and why they bring that about. And um they felt like ranked choice voting is just more to giving people a fair chance because they felt because we were sued the Department of Justice sued the city of East Point because they felt like an African American could not be elected in the city of East Point. And so they came up with different ways to help African Americans, people of color, 
different minorities to get in office by bringing up ranked choice voting. And ranked choice voting is basically just you're actually voting, giving everybody a vote. Everybody gets a vote in ranked choice voting. Instead of you, um, so you get uh, your your bet. You know the bet the best person you feel like is for the job. The uh, the, the the least person that's for the job. The okay person that's for the job. So it's just ranked by good, better, best, worst. And but everybody gets a vote. And so. I think the Department of Justice felt like that was better than just one person getting a vote and not everybody getting a chance, you know, in the election process. And so do I feel like every city, other cities should use it? It depends on if you feel like it's a need. I didn't. I don't think the regular voting system was a bad way, but if you had, you know, if you feel like it's going to make it more fair, across the board, then absolutely. Anything that is for bringing, you know, diversity or making sure everybody is at the table and making sure things is equal, I'm for it. So um, that's what ranked choice voting so, is for. Trying to understand the process, I'm I'm just rolling it around in my head. So if – does the process mean that if there are three – or five people being voted on, and you have um, everybody saying that their individual individual choices is number one. So let's say that person number one, two, four, and five got a spread of first choice vote, votes, but number two consistently came in as the number two person. Does that mean that that person actually wins? I mean, how does that work? Whoever meets the 33% threshold first. So you got to get 33% of the votes. So if you get 33.3% of the votes, you're elected first, depending on how many seats it is, too. And so it was um, two seats open and four people ran. So it depends on the seats and it depends on the people that run and who has the higher percentage, they win. And so if you pick, uh, just say, for instance, you like hamburger the most and you don't like hot dogs like that, but you still got to vote for each one of them from, you know, what's the best choice and what's your least choice. So each one gets mm-hmm. a vote. So now in the past, you just probably voted for hamburger and, you know, and usually hamburger just one, but this time, you know, but other people might want a hot dog. So... It's kind of actually it has to be. It's kind of hard to explain over the phone. It's actually charts in ways it has to be seen, but it's just a way to actually get everybody a chance to get a part of the election process to get a vote. And how many votes okay. you get depends on how many votes you get. Depends on it's just still the regular way. It's just everybody getting a vote in percentage. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people didn't like that way because it's. They feel like now you're making me vote for somebody that I don't want to vote for, period. And so, okay. So, yeah. Oh, good. Well, all right. Well, we're going to take a break and then come back and ask some additional questions and, and also allow people to understand how they can call in and okay. ask you a question. Thank you. Thank you. 
We are so excited to have you listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction blog talk radio show. Please call, text, or email family, business associates, or friends and tell them that we are on the air right now. Or they can join us on the internet by logging in to www.blogtalkradio.com slash NABWIC or by phone at 714-459-3918 and press 1 to join our conversation with questions or comments. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to follow us by liking our page and post your questions or comments. NABWIC's intent is to always go into the high schools and colleges to encourage our young black girls and women to enter into the construction industry and to take interest into the STEM programs that are offered. We encourage you to listen to this show or past shows on the internet by logging in at www.blogtalkradio.com slash N-A-B-W-I-C. Thank you, and we're back. Welcome back, and this is Ursula Odom, your host for Netwick Talks, and I am speaking with Mayor Monique Owens, and what a conversation it's been so far. At this point, I want to switch gears just a little bit. And talk about NAVWIC. What's your experience with NAVWIC? How did you first, how were you first introduced, and what are your thoughts about that experience? Well, actually, I uh, heard about NAVWIC as I was going through my campaign, and I knocked on a young lady's door, and she just was an awesome person, and she was like, I am from NAVWIC. And then I said, uh, what's NAVWIC? And she just told me it's the National Association of Black Women in Construction. And I was like, really? I've never heard of that. She said, really? She gave me her card, and I was very interested in knowing more about it so that I can reach out to other young black children, African-American children, and tell them about how to be construction workers when they grow up. I don't think that is something that we talk to our kids about or even young little girls. And I believe that seeing something different in the community changes the mindset of what you're going to be. And so I reached out to another young lady from NADWIC, and she told me the vision, and I want to be a part of that vision by just introducing the youth to seeing other groups of people doing other things. And so she invited me to the show and wanted to, hear my story because she felt like we all have something in common in which we do because we are both the organized, you know, the association and what I do, we both have shown and broken barriers in different ways and different places and different things. And so I think that's huge, you know. So that is a lot of the part of what, you know, I know about NABWIC and what you're doing. And I feel like the partnership with my city and my platform and you guys' platform is, you know, a, a huge collaboration in, you know, moving our community forward. Well, we actually have a caller with a question. Yes, good, good morning. Good morning. This is Jackie Perry from Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, I am just really excited uh, to be able to call in and ask a question. And um, for our guest, who is just so unique and diverse in terms of her background, and I've got, like, 
several questions, but I'll try to narrow it to to one. Uh, one that I'm really curious about, um, um, Ursula mentioned that as a part of your career, you are or were a comedian as well. And I was just wondering, like, how did you, did you inherit your funny bone? How did you fall into that arena? And what was it like being at the Apollo? Oh, you know, so I was always a class clown. That's one thing people don't know about me. I used to get kicked out of class all the time for saying jokes on my teacher and doing things like that. So I so I always was outspoken and had fun and been silly. So now how did I become a comedian? I started my comedian comedy career when I was a sheriff. And so one day I was at work, working the midnight shift, because obviously I'm ready for this question because I get asked this all the time. And... um it was, you know, I'm working with men from all walks of life who are about to get sentenced 20, probably 15 years or, you know, or worse. And, you know, I'm getting called all type of names, you know, because I'm the only woman they've seen after so many days and things like that. So I'm their worst enemy, you know, so I'm getting called all type of names and things like that. So, you know, I'm sitting there at work and I'm like, this cannot be my life, really? You know, and so I was like, it got to be more to me than just sitting around in a jail listening to people complain and talk down on me. I know this is not my life for the next 20 years. And so I said, what do I like to do that I enjoy that I can get paid for? And then I said, okay, well, I know I can do hair. Everybody can do that. I don't, I don't like doing hair like that now. And just naming a whole bunch of things that I was good at that I didn't really want to do. And so I said, well, I like making people laugh, but do is it a job in that? And then I said, a comedy. I said, comedian. I never thought about that. I said, a comedian. You make money. I said, that makes sense. So that night I looked up comedian and what they do, how much they make. Is there any comedy classes? And I found comedy classes, and I took it up. And so when I took up the class, it was kind of hard for me to do the class because it was on a Saturday during the day, and my kids, or doing things during Saturday, too. So I would drop them off first and run to the comedy class because I really wanted to do it, you know. And I would always come in late for the class. So one day when it was time to graduate, and a graduation night is you perform everything you learn in the class. So before that night came, I went to the Saturday class, which was the last day, and the teacher said, if you want um, your money back, I'll give you the money back, or if you want us to keep the money and just do the class over, we allow you to do that, and you don't have to graduate if you don't want to. And I told him, oh, no, I want to graduate. He said, you sure? I said, yeah. He said, you know what, give it a try, Monique. You pretty, you, did, you were pretty funny in the class. I said, yeah. And so I did the class that night, huge crowd, and it was dynamic. People thought I did comedy for years when I went, hit the stage, and that's when it really started for me. You know, um, I started doing uh, comedy night downtown Detroit. Um, I I did comedy class. I taught comedy classes to people. I traveled doing comedy. I met uh, comedians who are huge today, like Tiffany Haddish. I remember uh, her seeing me do uh, before she was, you know, as big as she is now. Uh, we went to ladies. It's a um, group of ladies that do comedy in in Los Angeles. And we are, um, and I, it's a comedy convention. I, I went there and I met Tiffany Haddish, Coco Brown, 
Mike Epps, all these people before they were really, really huge. And they thought I was really, really funny. And it was just a good experience just traveling. I met so many different people uh, doing comedy. And so one day, um, a girlfriend of mine, I was somebody was I was at you know at work, and somebody said uh, Apollo is coming to Georgia, to Atlanta to audition people, and I was like, wow, I should go. Why not? So I told another com- comedian friend of mine, and she said, well, I don't want to go. I don't think I'm good enough. I said, listen, you told me that your mom died telling you that this is all you should do. Let's give it a try. And um, she said, okay, let's go. So we went to Atlanta, drove all the way to Atlanta, and we did the audition. And um, how Apollo does it is when you go up there on audition, if they say, thank you, have a good day, we'll call you, that means they're not going to call you, let's just say that. But if they say, can we talk to you for a minute, that means they want you. And so she went first, and they said to her, We'll call you. So I went up, had the whole place laughing, even the people that were waiting outside in the line to get their turn for whatever talent they had to do, they were laughing too. And they said, can we talk to you for a minute? And so I gave them all of my information. The producers were excited and things like that. And when I went back home, I waited. I said, I'm not going to call them back. And I waited, and I wasn't going to call them back. And so that taught me a big lesson in entertainment. If they don't call you, you call them. Because it's other people, you know, just as funny or more funnier than you that's waiting on that opportunity. And so I think that's what made me start the talent agency because I didn't want people to lose out on their opportunities, that opportunity like I did, because they was they didn't know about the the entertainment life. They didn't know about knocking the doors and stop waiting on people to knock on your door. And so uh, that's when I started the talent agency to give opportunities to people who love what they do. And people would contact me who were doing charity, nonprofit events, church events, and things like that who needed comedians. And either I would do it or I would send a, a comedian to do it with, you know, who are taught, who are trained, and who are ready to do the job and professional. And so and I didn't go to New York. I missed that opportunity because I feel like I wasn't ready because, you know, sometimes you can have a talent and you think, you know, people should be waiting in line for you. And that's not how it, how it goes because you can, you can have the best experience, you can have all the education in the world, but if it's somebody hungrier than you, they will get it. Because people, I think people confuse, you know, your talent with somebody that's hungry. And so I thought, you know, because I had the talent, I had to look, it was somebody hungrier than me. And so that's why you see most people who you think might not be as talented to your extent get the job because they probably did something more than you did. They did the extra mile. And I, you know, and now I understand that. Everybody's waiting in line for the same thing you're waiting in line for, but what are you going to do to get it? And so that had helped me get to where I am today. It helped me open my business to teach other comedians and other people that you got to be hungry in order to go to the next level because people, you might be talented. You might be the funniest person, the cutest person, and all those things, and other people probably have those same talents, but who's the hungriest? 
in the entertainment world and in the world, period, the person who's the hungriest, who knocks on the door every day, who calls every day, usually gets it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That's that's great advice to use in any any sphere. And I'm I was listening to you, and I'm certainly taking that advice. You got to be hungry. Uh, in terms of my own entrepreneur ventures. So thank you so much for sharing that. Appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. And as you were giving that example, too, it it reminded me of a a situation where I saw two young people uh, drawing something, and they were drawing the same thing. And the visiting relative liked one better than the other and picked one to take home and she put it under her um, under glass and the one that did not get picked was devastated. Quietly so, didn't know it until later. Uh, But that child practiced drawing so much that she ended up getting into high school on an art as a part of the art program. And that was the most amazing thing that I had seen, that she took no talent and made a talent out of being angry about not being selected. And um, that was an incredible lesson for me. And what I think in terms of you and and, um, comedy, I was, um, at first I I was thinking, well, how does that work together? And, of course, you explained how you got into it. But then I thought, I had an aha moment, as they say, when I thought of Dick Gregory. Dick Uh Gregory was one of the first, if not the first comedian I'd ever seen live. And I remember we were in college, and he had us rolling in the aisles. We were laughing so hard, and right smack in the middle of a laugh. It's like it almost took your breath away. He turned political and drove a message home that you could not ignore. And I said, you know, this usually does work. We just don't think about it um, like that. But politicians and comedians have a lot in common. Yes, and a lot apparently of, it's working for you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. usually is a comedian. So, And he now he's in politics. And Dick Gregory, like mm-hmm. you said, I met him. I heard him uh, do comedy actually at the place I learned, I took the class at, which is funny. And I heard he would be performing there, and I and I sat there in amazement because it was a group. It was a it was a hundreds of Caucasians in there, and all he did was talk about Caucasians. And I laughed because <laughs> he was able to tell you about, you know, what he saw in you know in their world and tell them about themselves, and they paid for that. That's huge for you to say, okay, it's racism. You guys do this, it ain't right, and they're paying to hear hear you speak. And so when I heard that, I think it was more, to me, not just comedy. It was a message in it, like you said. Because when he spoke, it was funny, but it was something behind what he was talking about. So he wasn't right. in there bashing Caucasians. He was telling them how what they do, how it affects African Americans, and he was able to send that message but make it funny. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing that, even, you know, in my life and speaking and people hiring my company and things like that, that's all we did. I remember 
we I did a, a comedy uh I did some comedy uh I don't know if it's a comedy show but just humorous speaking public speaking for HIV AIDS awareness and I contacted them and they said how are you gonna make HIV and AIDS funny I said I'm not I said I'm gonna tell my experience to get the youth laughing and then tell them about HIV and they say okay. Because there's nothing funny about having that. But what's funny is about the experience we all have had. We all have had sex and had funny experience about our first time and this guy and that guy. And so that's how you relate to the kids. Because they just think, you don't know, understand what I went through or, you know, having a guy and figuring this out and figuring that out. So I made them laugh, letting them understand that I'm just like you. And that's how you get people. When you go up on the stage and you act like nothing has happened in your life, you can't, you know, it's something that you got to connect with your audience with. And I can't connect with uh, a 15-year-old about my husband. They don't understand that. But they do know about what goes on in high school and what they talk about. Because I used to be in high school. So in making them laugh about it, then they don't have this bridge, um, you know, or this wall towards me saying, okay, this is my mama speaking. All she's going to tell me is not to have sex and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that. But let me tell you about my experience first so you can laugh at me. And once you get laughing at me, that wall comes down. Now let me tell you about what you're not going, you shouldn't be doing. And so that's how comedians get to tell their, their message and get to people by breaking down that wall and letting you know I'm just like you. And, and then once you understand I'm just like you, and we have the same problems, or I know somebody that has the same problem like you, let's laugh about it, get over it, and move forward. And so, you know, in, in politics, you know, I you know, I don't do comedy as much as I used to as I just have my, my business because, you know, nowadays you say, say a joke, it messes up your political platform. So I had to separate that from what oh, I do now. Oh, yeah. You know? Yes, I don't I can want just something imagine. I think that's funny. Oh, yeah. That somebody say, oh, the new mayor, or, you know, especially you going up, people will find a joke out of nowhere that you said years ago. You know how social media is now. And it right, that right. to the new you. The old me was mm-hmm. then. That joke was the old me. And now the new me, you're going to attach the old me to the new me. And that's what our generation has done, period, you know. Right. And yeah. so um, I'm very careful in doing comedy now. You know, a lot of people still call me to this day. And I'll send them somebody, uh, and then I might do it on a special occasion and things like that. Like I was asked to do it in Atlanta for a friend of mine, and she said, you got to come down here and do Mother's Day comedy show for me. I said, well, I, you know, I haven't did comedy in a while. She said, I don't care. You coming down here and doing it for me. And so I said, you know what, it made me feel good. It brought me back because comedy is my first love. Comedy is the thing that opened me up, got me talking, got me comfortable to even do politics and speak to other people, to do public speaking, to teach, and things like that. So it is my first love. And when I get on the stage, I'm comfortable there. I have a good time. I'm hmm. myself, you know. And so when I went to Atlanta and I did, I opened up uh, for her, and she had another show the next day, the people that day said, is she going to be there tomorrow? <laughs> and they, she said, yes, she will, you know. So it just made and. And she got mad at me and said, why are you not doing comedy anymore? You're you're so good at it, Monique. Why did you choose a uh, political life? And I said, because I have so much more to 
give in another way. You well, know, you know and uh, so. it, it's also possible that this is just an intermission too, because you you use it when you needed it in the past. You're going mm-hmm. to make a difference, or you are making a difference with um, your community and the nation today. And when you step back away from that, you'll have a lot to talk about, and you that you will have stored up <laughs> over those years. Right, um, absolutely. There is something else I wanted to, to give a salute to. I cannot have you on the show and see that you were part of 4-H without having a conversation about 4-H. I am a 4-H baby myself. Yay. I mean, I grew up in the backwoods. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People hear about Girl Scouts and whatever, but I, I am head, heart, hands, and health girl. Oh, um, my God. The 4-H's. You're so funny. <laughs> I know that's right. It's funny when I yeah. started 4-H's and people were like, what do 4-H mean? I had to make, make us a, a hands, heart, ham, and health. It was like, ham? Where did it come from? <laughs> you forget, like, yeah, ham and health. Yeah, so I love 4-H. Yeah. You know, um, I started I as a kid. Too. Yeah, and I op- I started one um, in East Point with my kids and things like that. And what I like about 4-H, which wasn't shown to probably me and you at a, at you know, when we went to 4-H, 4-H, when I went, was just a place where my mom said, okay, uh, I'm dropping you off, go play, and I'm about to, you know, be free for a couple hours. You know what I'm saying? And so, <laughs> um, but 4-H is more to it than that, you know, and so it's community-based, getting the kids to learn how to volunteer and come together, and it also deals with animals and healthy living, healthy yes. eating and things like that. And also, it teaches kids about Robert's Rules, too. A lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so we use Robert's mm-hmm. Rules uh, in council meetings, and, you know, the senators use it, uh, politicians use it, and that's how they use order, you know, when, they, when they're when speaking and talking about different agendas in the White House and wherever you may go. And so we teach kids how to vote, how to um, vote yay, nay, and things like that. And so um, and we use Robert's Rules. So 4-H has a lot of different, you know, concepts and ideals in it that I didn't understand until I became the head leader in it, you mm-hmm. know. So mm-hmm. we talked about 4-H. It was just, like I said, that was the drop-off place for the parents to, you know, get some things done. And so, but it it really affected me then because it did help us do have something to do, you know. Yeah. Whether you knew what the, you know, the basis of it was, it gave you something positive to do. So when you hear about 4-H, that's how you know, hey, it was something positive, it was fun. You know, and so, um, but me just being a leader now and, you know, starting it, of course I have to know the dynamics and, you know, the history and things like that because I'm starting it. And so, but the things that I know now about it, I'm like, I don't remember this when I was in 4-H, you know, and so. (laughs) And and for me, I remember a lot of it. I remember a lot of it because my mother was a home economist, and she she oh. started the 4-H clubs or in the Emanuel County in um in in Effingham County. My uh, her friend made sure I participated in a lot, so I competed in bread making. I that's where I learned wow. how to uh, demonstrate how to make yeast bread, and that was so funny um, because. When when you had to compete, or when you competed, you had to do two sessions, like you see on the food channels today. You have to make the the bread before it rises, do that live, and you set it aside, and then 
you pick up some that you made earlier that's already risen and you punch it and you start um, rolling it out and making the, the final product that you want to bake. Those were fun days and, and um, competing in how to set up a table. I was a gracious hostess, right? <laughs> so, oh, wow. Um, yes. And most people don't know or, or have any thoughts about 4-H, but it it has become or did become a part of who I am, too, whether I talk about it or not. So when I saw that you were in 4-H or you are leading 4-H, it was like a, a wonderful moment to see. So congratulations to, on all that you do, and thank you for keeping 4-H alive. <laughs> right. Keep 4-H alive. Keep 4-H alive. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> the people that you see was in 4-H, because I don't know why. Is it, is it like a secret society? Because once I tell people 4-H, then it wakes people like, I was a 4-H. Like, why you wouldn't say nothing? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this a secret society? We got brands on us that say 4-H or something? But, yeah, so. Um, yeah. Actually, there may be an answer to that, because I tell you what, <laughs> um, when we were when we were small um, and in 4-H, the thing that competed on a mass with a massive amount of money, and I see that even today, are the future farmers of America. Now they came out, you know, in blazers and looking really sharp. And there may be an inferiority complex to them or something, because I know they were always winning everything. Um, and 4-H was more inclusive. The mm-hmm. they were segregated in a big way. You couldn't get into them, but wow. 4-H was for us. I mean, we we got into 4-H and we competed, um, and it was it was both it was it was it was diverse, and gave us mm-hmm. a chance. We had a chance to compete. Well, when people think but. about 4-H, they think about animals first. Um, we didn't think about it because we wasn't in that area. Depending on what 4-H you know you're a part of, because each 4-H takes upon different programs. Um, when people, but majority of the time when I tell people about the 4-H, they think about animals. And predominantly mm-hmm. that was what 4-H was about. You raised the animal, you sold that animal, and you mm-hmm. used that money for scholarships. Right. So people had, right. so that was predominantly what 4-H was, you know, but then they expanded it as well to, you know, like you said, head, hands, heart, and health. You know, um, use your heart, put your heart in the community, your hands to help the community, and uh, so on and so forth. And you know, you can't do anything, uh, do none of these things if you're not healthy, and et cetera. So, you know, so I started mine in East Point, and it was pretty much based upon a traveling 4-H club because I wanted the kids yeah. to uh, travel different places and learn different things and also volunteer. And I fell in love with those kids. I haven't did it as much as I, I planned. I, I'm going to get back into it. My election was really overwhelming for me to be around my kids. You hear me say my kids. Because they were my yeah. kids. You know, I cared about them. The parents trusted me with their children. Uh, you got those parents that say, I got to go somewhere. Can I leave them here? I'm like, go ahead, you know. And so, and I miss them. They become your family, well, you know. And so. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, as for parents, for them, I would imagine that you're taking a break from them and winning an election and making history will be with them for the rest of their lives. So you have made a mark on their lives, without a doubt, even in and out of 4-H. Before we go on, I mean, before I ask you another question, (laughs) I need to have you tell us what are your plans, because we only have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure you get the message out 
that you want to share? Well, my plans are to continuously work in making people know their power and helping people be successful. I feel like that has been my job since I was a child, you know, is to make sure people be successful. Um, me, me having this platform is just a platform not just for me. It is for everybody to use my platform. Wherever I go, if I meet somebody with my platform and that person I meet can help somebody that I know to be successful, that's the reason I have this platform, you know, to also let people know they have power. And going into 2020, it's a lot of things uh, people are going to be voting on, and this election is huge, and I want people to see that in this year, in my election, that I was able to let people know that they have the power of the vote and how to use that and to use it each and every time you get a chance, you know, to let the African Americans know that use your voice, use your power, and empower your own communities by doing that and don't depend on nobody else to do it for you. And so now my plans, nobody ever tells you their plans because I remember uh, even in this election, People wanted to know, was I running for mayor? Was I doing this? And in the book of Esther in the Bible, she never told anybody her plans. You have to be very strategic in life when you're doing stuff because everything you do or most of the things you do, everybody is not going to be supportive and everybody is not going to understand it but God. And so sometimes being keeping quiet and God will show up and show out for you. And so my plans is I have different sets of goals. I do want to write a a children's book. I do want to come out with some things that attach to my platform and my brand, but it depends on where God may lead me, you know. And so I don't really, you know, want to say what my plan is because God be like, okay, that's your plan, but I got something better than that. And sometimes, you know, because my plan wasn't to become a councilwoman or a mayor, Get out of here. You know, my plan was to be a comedian, have my own comedy club. Those were my plans. I'm not saying that God is not going to give me those things, but maybe he has something bigger than, I mean, making history is kind of bigger than that. But using that platform to reach people is huge. And God saw me doing that more than, you know, doing that. And so sometimes your plans can be um, overshadowing what God has bigger than that. And so it's not saying that it's not good to have plans because you need something to, you know, you need to have goals and plans and things like that. But I promise you, whatever you plan on doing, God has something bigger than that. And so, but still work on your plans and your goals. But I promise you, you might say, I want to write that that book or, you know, God might make it out of a movie. You know what I'm saying? Might have you have a movie. But it's still according to that plan, but God's plan is bigger than that. You might say, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm... I'm going to start making, you know, making dinners on the side, and you end up having a world-renowned restaurant. And so your plan is good, but God has a bigger plan for you. And so, you know, so my plans in, you know, the near future is pretty much to just continuously empower, you know, people, wherever walks of life you come from, whether you're Caucasian, Mexican, and et cetera, but predominantly, I talk to the African-American community because that's where I come from. That's where I see that we're not at the table at. And so in order to make the playing field 
fair, equal. You have to tap into those people who are not getting treated that way and tell them how to be at the table so it can be fair and equal. And so I have um, pushed this whole election for the African Americans to know their power, to know their worth, to know who God is in order to do those first two things, to know your power, know your worth, you got to know who God is, period. And to use all of those three elements to do what, you know, you need to do to be successful. And that's pretty much, you know, um, those are my plans into, you know, making sure people are successful and empowered. And however I can do that, you know, I'm open to doing that because, Sometimes you might not be able to get people to help you like you want to be helped, but you're accountable for having the resources. We're accountable for having the knowledge and giving that to people who need it. And if you don't, you're held accountable for that. I really believe that. If you see somebody that needs something and you know someone who can help them or you can help them and you step back and say, I'm not doing it because nobody helped me or I'm not doing it because she's not in this group or I'm not doing it because she don't go to my church, you're held accountable for that. And so, you know, and so I just know I was there. I dealt with that. And I want to make sure that I give, give back to the community. I give back to people who need it. I give back to a person that used to be like me. You know, all right. So. Well, from all that I see and all that I hear, um, I totally believe that you are or doing your share and impacting the world in a big way. And I look forward to finding out what God has in store for you. And thank you so very much for being uh, a guest on the show today. Okay, thank you so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. And to our listening audience, you have been listening to NABWIC Talks, and we've been speaking with Mayor Monique Owens, comedian, entrepreneur, and politician from East Point, Michigan. I tell you, it's been a wonderful conversation today. And for NABWIC members, it's your turn. It's time for you to hold your hand up and tell your story as well. This is a benefit for you to share with fellow members and the world. So until next week, have a great week. This concludes our show. Thank you for listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction. For more information about NABWIC and our membership, please visit us on the web at www.nabwic.org. We are the voice of black women in construction. Have a great and prosperous day.